This is Crossroads, a Get Religion podcast. These are horrible stories, and yet they tend to fade from public memory rather quickly. That's how common mass shootings are, especially mass shootings at schools. But the shooting at the Covenant School in Nashville, Tennessee, has a reason to keep journalists following that story and to keep it in the public memory. That reason is a simple sentence. There is a manifesto. Well, will we see the manifesto? What kind of strange bedfellows have been made in the search for the shooter's manifesto? Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's founder and editor of Get Religion author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. So we still know very little except for the existence of the Nashville Manifesto, but recently the AP did a follow-up, and what did that story tell the nation as an update? Anything new? Well, it's important that the Associated Press did a story, and I think what pushed the button on that was simply the fact that it's very apparent that the status of the manifesto by the shooter, and I think at this point it's just conceded that the manifesto exists. In fact, there's there's some amazing information in the AP story that just lets you know just the scope of what we're arguing about here read a, a brief part of that AP story. The person who killed three nine-year-old children and three adults at a private Christian elementary school in Nashville on March 27 left behind at least 20 journals, a suicide note, and a memoir, according to church filings. And the, the next statement also is a ringing indication of why this is such a story, but there is no national standard governing if or how such writings are made public. And then, which means it's down to Tennessee law at this point. But I have, when you look at the complexity surrounding this case, which I think the Associated Press did a good job of describing in this story, you know what? I think this may be headed to the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, it's that big a deal, and there are so many issues related to it. What did the AP, if anything, reveal that the public has, doesn't already know? That's a an interesting question. I don't know if there is anything new in this other than the status of what I would describe as the religious, political, and legal complications surrounding this. What I think makes the story important and why I think people who are interested in this tragic subject, why I think they should seek this out, is you get a real sense in this story of the contradictions that are built into this story in terms of what we would normally assume about 
who wants this information to be made public and who doesn't. And the minute you look at that, you can just see how confusing the situation is. Let me give you just a couple of those, how those things pair off. This is a case where the press, primarily represented by the Nashville Tennessean, which is a part of a national newspaper chain that I think everybody would agree is on the moral and cultural left, the Nashville Tennessean is seeking the release of the documents at the same time as Fox News and some of the individual commentators on Fox News and a host of other people representing the conservative side of American life and culture. I mean, so you get the press siding with the cultural right in opposition to the efforts of Democrats in Tennessee to not go after the release of these materials, which if that isn't ironic enough, that puts the Democrats fighting on the side of Covenant Church and Covenant School, which is asking for the materials not to be released, which puts the conservative church and school on the opposite side of the religious groups that are trying to get material with which to prove that this was some kind of hate crime. Did you follow through that? <laughs> Does that leave you asking any questions? Well, it's strange bedfellows, of course. Yeah, but strange bedfellows twice over. And this is where I think I'd really love to have an off-the-record conversation with some of the reporters covering this because my brain as a journalist just screams out some possibilities here. But we're left wrestling with a couple of key facts of things that we do know. You may recall that when the Nashville police, one of the first times they addressed the press and the public about this crime, I mean, right after the crime, the police chief, John Drake, said, there is some belief that there was resentment at having to go to the school but we don't have all the details yet. Now, having to go to the school could be resentment against parents sending Audrey slash Aiden Hale to there. The police also said that it was clear that the school was targeted. No question. This is not a random event. The school was targeted. But what they couldn't affirm was that individual people inside the school were targeted, which made it sound like they were investigating whether that was the case for some reason. That's what my journalist head tells me. So you have that as open facts, even though the police later subtly changed those remarks in ways that made it sound like, well, we really need to withhold these documents. In fact, Drake later told CNN, as of right now, we don't have any indication there were any problems at the school or at home. We can't confirm any type of problem at this time. Which is like 
the exact opposite of his first statement. So both of those statements remain on the public record. Only one of them can be true. Which is accurate, and why was the other one made? The other thing that I think I want to remind our listeners of, because I think it's, it's important that these words are not being quoted in stories, including the Associated Press story. And that is the social media that the shooter, who died on the scene, of course, killed by police. The shooter apparently sent remarks, put remarks on social media, while sitting in the church parking lot, right before taking up his or her weaponry and heading inside. And the words that I'm still amazed, I've, I, I know I told our listeners this in a previous podcast on the topic. I still can't believe this quote is not in all of these stories. And this is a quote from Hale. My family doesn't know what I'm about to do. One day, this will make more sense. I've left more than enough evidence behind. But something bad is about to happen. I've left more than enough evidence behind to turning that section around enough evidence behind so that all of this will make sense that's an actual i don't think anybody's contesting that it's a valid quote from the shooter on social media minutes before pulling the trigger why isn't that quote in all of the reports on this topic. As a journalist, you're looking for the strongest, clearest, frankly, shortest, punchiest quotes to sum up a situation. And if we're arguing about 20 journals, at least, remember the words, at least 20 journals, a suicide note and a memoir and I don't know if more social media has been discovered. It seems like the press stopped looking for social media. Don't we want to know why the shooter said this act would make sense? Which gets us back, I mean, I have an entire page of questions after reading this Associated Press report, and I can run through them for our listeners here in a minute. What do you think is why they're not printing those amazing social media quotes? I think it would keep the story alive because they are social media quotes. And social media does have a tendency to keep stories alive. Yeah, I agree. But here's what's fascinating. They're not printing the quotes, but media organizations are going after the memoirs the manifesto, the journals, all of that stuff. So the press appears to be seeking the information, yet not talking about that information in the strong language of the shooter itself. That's just one of many paradoxes at the heart of this story at this moment. And why I wanted to remind our listeners that this story is still out there. And this very interesting... Huh, set of contradictions 
built into who wants the material to come out and who doesn't. The, the mainstream press, even the liberal press, working with the conservative press against the Democrats, and meanwhile, Republicans are seeking this to come out in opposition to the requests of this conservative church and school. It's, it doesn't make any sense, and I don't think it ever will. Well, there's the shooter's words. One day, this will make more sense. I remain very interested in that day coming to pass. Would you comment just a little bit on what seemed to me, I think in both the Tennessean and in the AP coverage, a pretty careful avoidance of personal pronouns? Well, I'll be glad to run down all the contradictions built into that, but we should discuss a Fox television channel there in Nashville, a very interesting summary of kind of what's going on here, and it would be a perfect illustration of what you just asked. So what do you make of the, uh, I mean, there are a lot of ways that journalists write using a last name, the shooter. There's a lot of ways to do this. Yeah, yeah. But the the whole point here, and it, and it relates to the manifesto as well, is that this was a transgender shooter and that the transgender movement has born as its sign of fealty, the use of pronouns, and yes. yet the AP and the Tennessean don't use them. And the Associated Press has changed its style book to stress that you must use the name and pronoun used by the person. So we have actual violations of the new journalism gospel according to the Associated Press style book. The Fox 17 story has a great quote, and it's great because of what this illustrates, but this is also from the lawsuit from the Tennessean, et cetera, requesting the release of the information. And this quote from the lawsuit violates something that the transgender movement, the T and LGBTQ plus IA, whatever the rest of them are at this point, this passage from the lawsuit violates their standard, which is that it's a hate crime to refer to the person only by his or her last name. A lot of college professors, when told they must use a student's pronouns, chosen pronouns, they say, what I want to do is treat everyone the same and only refer to students by their last name. And that's in the high court of academia and diversity and equity studies or whatever, that's found to be inadequate and even a form of hatred to do it that way. So with that in mind, listen to this long quote, but I think listeners will find it a helpful summary. In this particular instance, debate has arisen regarding Hale's motivations, goals, planning, and acquisition of firearms while under mental health treatment. For example, did Hale attack a Christian school because of its religious affiliation or because of the conservative views of the denomination of which the Covenant School's sponsoring church is a participating congregation or because Hale hated the school that Hale once attended or 
because Hale had a grudge against some employee or administrator of the school. What do Hale's autopsy toxicology tests show, and are they connected to the shootings? Boy, that's a loaded question. What do Hale's records show that might be of assistance to the Tennessee special legislative session scheduled to take place in August of 2023? What do these records reveal that may help to avoid school shootings in the future? That reference to the Tennessee special legislative session is the Tennessee legislature wants to consider legislation on ways to make all schools safer. And they're saying the Republicans are, not the Democrats, who normally work with the teachers and teachers unions. They're saying that without the information in these journals, manifesto, suicide letter, etc., they don't have all the information they need from this particular shooting on how to make schools safer. Now, that's a long, fascinating passage from the Tennessean lawsuit, and it's really interesting to me. I wonder, was it conservative press or was it the Tennessean, or who precisely put in the request about toxicology? Because that really gets into the issue of whether Hale had started transitioning to a new gender and whether testosterone or roid rage, as often cited in terms of side effects, may have played some role in this crime. It's amazing to me that that's in that lawsuit and that the Tennessean is a part of that because to me, the Tennessean would be at the top of any list that doesn't want to talk about the trans elements, potential elements of this crime. Here's the big question. Was this a hate crime? And why is that such a powerful and divisive issue? Well, basically, a hate crime is an act against a minority group, an oppressed minority group in American culture that our journalism and legal culture decides is a, has been targeted with hate. And over and over again, we've had people claiming, thus, there was no hate involved. Oh, in like that, the customer who wanted the satanic wedding cake or gender reveal cake or whatever it was in Colorado. No hatred involved in that, even though the Supreme Court said Colorado officials showed hate. Basically, you can't have a hate crime against a group that Yale Law School, Harvard Law School, and the New York Times and NPR don't think is an oppressed minority. At the top of any list of groups that is not a oppressed minority, it would have to be white conservative Christians, especially if there's any potential that they might have voted for Donald Trump. You can't have a hate crime against people that I guess it's appropriate to hate. That's a strong way of stating it, but that's kind of the logic here. Once again, though, when you get into who wants it considered a hate crime. This is where, once again, questions keep popping up. You have the Tennessean wanting the memoirs out, like I said, and you have the people who want it considered a hate crime 
wanting the memoirs out to back their case. So there's that strange bedfellows, to use your term a second ago. Then you, you get down into the fact that besides the hate crime issue, you've got a fascinating journalism First Amendment issue here. Normally, journalists would be screaming that public records in a major crime of this sort simply have to come out. The public has a right to know. Originally, though, you had conservatives saying, ah, boy, this is one time, though, when the press is going to kind of write that off and say, no, no, we don't need the documents this time. They were predicting that the Nashville Manifesto, if you go on Twitter or X or whatever it is right now, if you go on that social media site and search for Nashville Manifesto, you will still continue to see lively conversation coming from cultural conservatives saying, oh, no, 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 they're not going to let this come out. And they have all kinds of conspiracy theories for why the hated liberals will not let this come out. And they, they see this joining a list of strange historic mysteries that includes the assassination of John F. Kennedy and why those documents people are still arguing about whether they should ever come out, the assassination of RFK, and the discussions now by the canceled Democratic candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. about the assassination of his father. Then you have, well, why did that shooter fire out the windows in Las Vegas, and why have we never heard a motive in that case? Or here's another question. Who funded Antifa? Who rented all the vans? Who bought all that stuff? Who organized the illegal riots at night during that summer of alleged burning buildings and legal demonstrations during the day and illegal attacks and demonstrations at night. And also don't forget, whatever happened to the Jeffrey Epstein client list? That's another thing. And the Nashville Manifesto is now in that list of mysterious things that people allegedly are linked to media bias and to liberal bias. And that gets you into the area of conspiracy theories about all of this, which then leads to a fascinating quote from the Associated Press story that don't forget that many, notice many but not all, many of the school's parents want these records kept private and the Covenant School and the church wants these materials kept private. And there's a quote from one of the mothers I do not believe there was any motivation other than a desire for death. And there is nothing that could ever make the horrible act of killing children make sense. The public release of these writings will not prevent the next attack. There is nothing in the journals to satisfy the yearning, overactive minds of the conspiracy theorist. Now that's coming from a mother on the culturally conservative side of this, who also, by the way, stressed that she hasn't seen the documents. She hasn't seen the documents, but she believes there's nothing in them that would help legislators or would help, quote unquote, the conspiracy theorists. <laughs> this is just so complex, and none of the usual suspects are lined up 
with their normal bedfellows and usual suspects. It's it's a fascinating case, and I'm convinced this could end up going to the U.S. Supreme Court unless the police say the police say they can't release the documents until the investigation is completed. So does that mean that, like the Jeffrey Epstein case, the investigation will never be completed? Is that going to be the card that gets played here? If that's the case, I think this will head to the Supreme Court one way or another. So I want to pick up on something you just said there, because the, one of those parents did mention a conspiracy theory. And you asked the question, how would we know? Because we haven't seen the documents and neither has the yeah. the parent in question. So she's assuming that somehow it will either fuel or somehow add to conspiracy theories. Shouldn't part of journalism's task, good journalism's task, to answer that question? Yeah, yes. I mean, and, and don't forget the original statements from the police. The school was targeted. The shooter was a former student at the school. The shooter has rainbow flags and things all hanging around in the shooter's bedroom. The parents, though, are conservative Christians who sent the shooter to that school, and the police originally said the shooter was mad at being having been made to go to the school. Now, that doesn't sound like death was the only thing involved here, a willingness to kill people. The shooter could have gone to a mall, could have gone to any other school. There's been some discussion of other potential sites for shootings and that the shooter didn't go there because security might have been higher. Well, how do we know that? Presumably that's in the manifestos or something. We don't know. But I'll bring up one thing from the earlier podcast because everything I read keeps pointing back to this because this would be a valid reason for the police to be silent at this moment. Did the shooter make accusations of some sort of illegal activity or crime on the part of the school, the church, or parents? That's a terrible question to have to ask, but it would be a valid legal reason to not have released the materials because in some cases you may be having people who can no longer speak for themselves. Or, 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 let me stress this. Did the shooter say that the school or her slash his parents made her go to conversion therapy sessions, which is something that isn't illegal. I don't believe it's illegal in Tennessee. It certainly would not have been at that time. And is that considered a hot enough subject that the police don't want that accusation made public until they have had a, some further chance to go on to investigate this and maybe even conspiracy theory alert here, maybe even never complete an investigation because the issues made are just simply too volatile. And once again, I believe that if this goes on and on and on and no resolution, I think you will see the Tennessean, Fox News, other journalists, you will see people take this up through the courts. And I predict it could go all the way to the Supreme Court because we don't have a national 
law on this subject? Or could maybe, let's say, the Republicans take the Senate and control the House and the Senate? Could Republicans attempt to create a national law on when records related to mass shooting should be made public? That would be another interesting political wrinkle in this story, as if we needed more. With about a minute here, you said you had a quick list of questions that the AP story raised for you. With about a minute, go through the most important ones. I think I just ran through them all, to be honest with you. Why does the LGBTQ activists, why do they want it buried? Yet that puts them on the side of the church. That was a question. The press is on the same, is opposing the Democrats? Since when? That's a question. Can you have a hate crime when the victims are white Christian Protestants? That's one. Is this a First Amendment issue that ultimately will go to the Supreme Court? And at the end, did it have something to do with conversion therapy attempts or something else? Maybe even what the shooter viewed as a crime that is in the documents, and that's why the police don't want to make it public until they're through with their investigation. Questions, questions, questions. But I recommend this Associated Press story, which of course will be in the Get Religion link when I put up a post about this. I do recommend that our listeners check out this Associated Press story. It's a confusing story, but it's confusing for all the right reasons. It's a report they will want to see. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's founder and editor of Get Religion and author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, thank you. Glad to be here. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. Crossroads is a production of Get Religion part of the First Amendment projects at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. If you appreciate this podcast, please make a secure online tax-deductible donation at getreligion.org.